Fuck I talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome to Buckeye Talk, another edition of the Daily Pod. This is Thursday, June 4th. For those of you following us on a daily basis, I'm Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. He is Stephen Means, also from Cleveland.com. You know, we started these Daily Pods thinking we were going to need some topics to just kind of fill the summer, fill the spring and summer. Um, you know, another way to reach out directly to our tech subscribers, interact with, with all of you. Again, thanks for all of you who are subscribing. If you're not, 614-350-3315. But then we end up having a lot of days like Wednesday, which were just full of news. You've got everything that's going on outside of football and, and Ohio State football players and athletes and coaches and administrators are involved in, in all of that as well. Um, there was another demonstration Wednesday night that a lot of Ohio State football players were instrumental in, in getting going and really been engaged on a lot of that stuff. You also had Ohio State naming a president to succeed Michael Drake. Her name is uh, Christina Johnson. She comes from the SUNY system. That news was breaking Tuesday night from, from New York sources and came to fruition on, on Wednesday. And you then had Ohio State announcing that it is going to resume classes for the fall on August 25th, or at least that's the plan as of today, and no concrete plans yet for football, but hearing that they're going to start classes again and bring students back to campus, at least for, I think they said August 25th is when it starts, and then it runs through, a lot of schools are doing this, runs through right up to Thanksgiving break, and then everything after that will be virtual learning. So I took today as a cautionary positive step back towards football it's a small one still there's they're they're being very specific that you know safety is still the first concern they have no specific plans as far as what football is going to be but michael drake was talking about already talking you know talking about spreading um the attendance out in ohio stadium uh, talking about you know this kind of phased in approach that they were bringing athletes back in and and saying that there's going to be students on campus i think is a positive thing for their actually then potentially being football games played this fall. It just provides optimism because, to, you know, to what's already been mentioned from Gene Smith and Ryan, you can't have guys on campus playing in a football game saying it's safe for them to do that, especially with student athletes, if it's not safe for the rest of the student body to be on campus. So what this does is, well, it's safe for the – obviously people feel like it's safe enough that students can be on campus and have some level of inter, in-person classes so it just, it just provides optimism that there's still going to be a season for Ohio State. There are some people, and I think Doug brought this up, and I thought he made a good point. There are people who kind of dispute, I guess, that, that line of thinking, that they say you can, you know, because you've got a small group of, of relatively small group of, of students as the, the football players or whatever athletes you're talking about, that you can test them, keep them sequestered, et cetera, et cetera, and, and then – still have a season even if there aren't students on campus I just think it's it's not completely practical it's also not the best look if you are an institution or an organization of institutions that's really preaching that athletes are just like any other student don't need to be treated differently than any other student and then you bring them back for this there's arguments on both sides and maybe we'll end up having to argue that more down the line but um, I, I just feel like you know Gene Smith saying it Ryan Day, I think, also echoed those comments, as you said. I take it as a positive that they are thinking about bringing, you know, that they have a plan for students to be back on campus and that normalcy can maybe start to happen now. Having said that, there's also reports around the country of some schools, some teams, where players have already started testing positive for COVID-19 that had started returning. And Ohio State, uh, Gene Smith said last week that Ohio State wouldn't test for COVID-19 and we're going to test all the players and they come back today. Michael Drake said that they're actually all of the people who are part of this like phased in approach, which includes athletes, but includes other uh, teachers and students and administrators and all those sorts of things. There's sort of a sample, a limited sample of those people are going to be tested. And then how, depending on how that works, the results they get out of that, that's going to kind of depend on their approach for 
the fall. But this is something I'm trying to report on and hopefully we'll have something on soon, but just what, what the testing means for both athletes and for fans, as far as the kind of the two sides of things that still have to come together. But all in all, still, I think a positive day towards the return of football. And with the return of football in mind, we're going to talk about football for the rest of this podcast. Uh, we got a, a good listener question. Again, if you uh, haven't subscribed to the text, 614-350-3315, or go to the links that we have out there in our social media and, and other places and sign up because we would love to have you on board. And we got a question from the 317 rapid fire question for us. And we're just going to use it today because I think it, it we, we are looking for maybe a rapid fire um, edition on Friday. People seem to be liking those. But for today, this one's going to kind of kick off what we're going to do with this whole podcast. Uh, with spring practice and summer workouts disrupted everywhere, do Ohio State and Clemson have a major advantage with a returning quarterback? The other usual playoff contenders, Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU, Alabama, with limited playing time for Mac Jones, are all breaking in new starters and will have less time than ever to gel. I think that is a really crucial context to ask this kind of question. On a given year, I think it's certainly a benefit to have a returning quarterback in, in any circumstance, I think, as long as that quarterback was good. He presumably is going to be better that second year, and especially if it's a young guy adding another year, which you have with Justin Fields, a guy going from a sophomore first-time starter to a, a second-year starter. Although he had a great year as a sophomore, everyone kind of expects him to build on that as a junior. In the circumstances of this year, where there's no spring football or very limited spring football, but you had programs like Chad Leistico from Des Moines Register talking about how Iowa had no spring football this year. When you have a lot of teams with that circumstance, I think having a returning quarterback could be absolutely critical this year. I think it may end up being that is a precursor to whether or not you have the kind of can have the kind of season that gets you into the playoff or not. Yeah, I think in a year where everybody lost spring football, so fall camp, whenever that is, whatever version of that is, everyone's going to be trying to fast-track their process. It's almost similar. I feel like we're saying LSU way too much on this podcast lately, but they just won a national championship, so why not? When Joe Burrow showed, transferred from Ohio State after spring football, he showed up at LSU's campus and was pretty much going to be their starting quarterback. He had to kind of fast-track his process Basically, it was in a month of fall camp before the season started. Well, every quarterback in the country who's not a returning starter is in a similar position where because there wasn't a spring football, you're fast-tracking processes all around the country. And if you're in a quarterback battle, maybe those battles where you came into fall camp with a clear hierarchy of who was leading the way, so some quarterbacks maybe left because they knew they weren't going to win a job, and fall camp was a chance to maybe solidify what you built on in spring practice. Well, now maybe some quarterback battles around the country, maybe going to the first two or three weeks of the season, or maybe teams use those first four games, especially now where you can still play four games and still redshirt the season. We saw that with Clemson in 2018 with Trevor Lawrence and Kelly Bryant, where both of those guys played in those first four games and then Clemson made a decision and Kelly Bryant transferred. Maybe we see a lot more situations like that just because there wasn't a spring football and so everybody's going to be fast-tracking their process in fall, in, for fall camp. Ohio State had to fast-track the process a little bit last year, too. And that's, mm -hmm. a, a, I guess, a counterpoint to bring up here is that having a first-year quarterback last year didn't hold Ohio State back from being able to get to the playoff. And being as good as the team that they lost to and, and, and arguably in that kind of three-team mix with LSU. I think LSU obviously proved that they were a step above everybody. But I guess then the counterpoint to that is, but he did have the whole spring. I mean, he was able to get here by the start of the semester and was already kind of, you know, meeting his teammates, kind of gelling. I think that was the important word that was brought up with the question was that, that a concept of gelling. Like it's, it's beyond just developing and learning the playbook. It's, it's having a presence within the team, especially as a quarterback. I think that's just absolutely crucial. So he's able to start doing all those things and, he starts learning the offense and starts practicing with the offense and gets a full spring practice to do it. I wonder if, you know, looking back on it, as talented as Justin Fields is, if you take away the whole spring, and even though he he would have been on campus for the first, even that would have been cut off, right? Like if you take all this mm -hmm. COVID stuff and put it back in 2019, that means Justin Fields gets here in January, but by the first week of March, he goes home for spring break and then done. Like he does not have any more time with the guys who are his receivers, does not have any more time directly with his quarterback coach and his coach does not have any more time um, just kind of 
getting comfortable with campus and, and just things like that, that I think that we take for granted, but that they talk about being really important. And it, I, I do, in retrospect, look back on it and say, could Ohio State have done what it did last year if Justin Fields didn't have a whole spring to work with? And that would have been 10 times worse than what many of these teams are going to go through this year because we're talking about situations where there's quarterback battles with guys who are maybe just the backups or the third-string guys behind whoever the starter was. With Justin Fields, he showed up in January as a transfer out of Georgia, didn't know anybody, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I read a story somewhere that there were points where he was homesick up here because he didn't really have a relationship with anybody yet because they didn't really right. know him. He didn't know them. I don't want mercenary is the wrong word here, but this was a business. He's no, he said this. This was a bit a business decision for him to choose Ryan Day to develop him into an NFL quarterback. And so, yeah, you take away that spring along with the fact the only benefit he would have had is he's not in a battle to win the quarterback position. The moment he transferred here, everybody knew he was a starter. I understand Ryan Day waited till maybe what was that two weeks before the season started. I think the first your first day on the job here was the day. Ryan Day yes. announced, yeah, I'm sorry. So, but we, we all knew. He didn't have to say that for yeah, everybody. It was a, it was a yeah. formality at that point. Yeah, at that point, it was more just to make it official. But that would, his only advantage would have been he wouldn't have been in a battle with Matthew Baldwin or, or Tate Martell. He, he'd, he'd have known he had the job. So maybe that's the advantage. But other than that, yeah, he'd have showed up on campus not knowing anybody, left two weeks later not knowing anybody, and had to spend five months, five weeks basically trying to convince a team of guys who had just had Dwayne Haskins and then JT Baird for four years that, hey, I'm the guy you guys should be following. So everybody is doing what Justin Fields did, or at least I would assume they are. If you're a major quarterback, you're going home and you're getting with a quarterback coach. Um, I talked to a guy that Jack Miller works with um, right after all this started back in March. Um, I'm sure CJ Stroud was working with somebody. And I think anybody, and, and it's not just quarterbacks, guys in a lot of positions they hook up with, they hook up with physical trainers or, or, or position coaches. We saw um, clips of Trey Sermon doing that as he's coming back from an injury and trying to get himself in game shape, ready to come into Ohio State this fall. But I, I think that Fields being able to go to Quincy Avery, someone he already had a relationship with and someone who I think is demonstrated as being in a certain level. And also I think maybe knowing the expectations of Ohio state, I'm wondering if that's going to be also a benefit that not every quarterback in the country gets to have, and not every team in the country is fortunate enough to have a quarterback who can go home and have access to someone like that. I don't know if – I think at this point with most of these quarterbacks, they probably got quarterback trainer. I think the bigger issue is that's great that you have a quarterback trainer who's helping you with your footwork and basically helping you with the things that for Justin Fields, he would be working with Corey Dennis on if he was in Columbus. That's great. But what he's not doing is throwing to Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, but more, but more importantly because he's gotten reps with those guys plenty of times. He's not throwing to Julian Fleming or G. Scott or Jackson Smith and Jigba or Mookie Cooper. And those are the four guys where, where it's – he has very little experience throwing the ball to those guys. He's got two and a half practices and whatever free time that they spent before they were told to go home throwing to those guys. So that's what the more important thing here is. It's, and that's any quarterback. It's great that you have a guy who's helping you with your footwork and the fundamentals of things. But if you're not building chemistry with the wide receivers that you're going to be play, playing with on Saturday, then that stuff is great. But, you know, that doesn't – you know, that's not all that needs to translate onto the field. And I think that's what's more important here is the lack of being able to build chemistry with some of these new receivers. I think it's going to be interesting when we find out how these players organize themselves. And I assume they organize themselves because it's voluntary workouts. Coaches are not supposed to be supervising or not really supposed to be involved in any way. I mean, they're, they're going to be around because there's coaches who are also allowed to go back to the Woody and have been now for a couple of weeks, but this is supposed to be on the players. So how do the players, they said that, I think Gene Smith said there's gonna be some sort of a sign up process or mm -hmm. I, I don't know how they're going to distribute it, but you, I get the long winded way is I assume that it's not going to be Justin Fields and then like one defensive lineman and one linebacker and a safety and uh, Blake Hobbill and um, a long snapper. Like I, it, it would make the, too much sense to have like Fields and Stroud and Miller and some receivers. It makes those kind of groups up together, right? Um, maybe mm -hmm. even throw a center in there. Maybe you throw 
Josh Myers and uh, Luke Whipler and Harry Miller and those guys into those kind of groups too. Um, right when these guys come back on June 8th, they're scheduled to come back on June 8th. That's the plan. I think it's all but been finalized. It's, it's something else the Big Ten has to formally sign off on. I think that's supposed to happen, um, if not tomorrow, then by the end of the week. But I, I would assume that th- that's what these guys are going to come back and do is get together in those kinds of groups and do those voluntary workouts be- to try to do that, to try to catch up as quick as they can on some of that kind of rep time that they missed in the spring. That turns into what you know a normal June would be like for them right now where they're not with their coaching staffs, but they're on campus. And that's, that's more Justin Fields getting the group chat with his wide receivers and going, hey, we're heading over to the Woody today to throw. And – we, we've been to the Woody. There's an indoor facility, but there's also three fields outside. So there's enough space out there for them to still practice social distancing while also doing the necessary things they need to do to get better at football. So to that point, yeah, it's, that's not a hard thing to do. for that, That's up to your starting quarterback to facilitate stuff like that. So we keep saying that Ohio State's going to really benefit from having a second year of Justin Fields. You know, Ryan Day gets to have a starting quarterback for a second year. He gets to be in the same system for two years in a row. Um, and then also just that development that you assume that any sophomore has or any first year quarterback has between their first year and second year, even though he was a sophomore when that first year came at the same time, Justin Fields was a Heisman trophy finalist last season through 41 touchdowns had only thrown one interception going into the college football playoff semifinals. Um, and then threw two in that game, but one on the last play of the game and, are we overthinking at all how much of a jump Justin Fields is going to take in this second year? No, I think there's the, because I think what it is, is his floor, floor and ceiling. Here we go again. His, no, we're this not. This has been because, the floor and ceiling podcast this week. Yeah, I, I know. Like those those have come yeah. up a lot. Yeah, they have. So I'm going to try to not use those words the rest of this week. I think where he started at, was already so high and you're there's, there's natural jumps in you know progression how a guy's going to get better when he does things more than once that's just how life works so if a guy can throw 41 touchdowns and three interceptions his first year on the job you would only think that logically if he's going to plan an offense where we all think it's going to be more throw heavy than it was in 2019 just because there is no J.K. Dobbins, but there is the wide receiver talent along with what Justin Fields is as a potential NFL number one overall draft pick. It's only logical to think that, yeah, he can only go up from being the a Heisman finalist to possibly being the Heisman winner. Well, I, I guess I, that's what I'm asking is, like, can he only go up? Or is it possible that he plateaued as a sophomore and just had a phenomenal year that year and would – struggle to replicate that I mean it's it's the efficiency of it I mean he was he was he was he was a great player last year I'm not I'm not I, saying yeah. he wasn't in any way a great player but the efficiency that he played with last year may be difficult to replicate with all the other weapons he has now I say that as being I, I don't mean that just in terms of interceptions though. I think he could possibly throw more interceptions in 2020 and still actually be more efficient when you look at his passing from top to bottom and just his gameplay from top to bottom. So I'm not discounting the, the possibility that that could happen, but I'm just, I'm the devil's advocate guy. And I'm the one saying like, are we putting too much of an assumption that what was a great season last year? I mean, literally Heisman trophy finalist season. Like you can't sneeze at that. Are we, are we taking it for granted that he's just going to be like another level jumped up from there? That's, that might be asking a lot. I don't know if we're taking it for granted. We're just combining what he did along with what his use is just going to look like. Even if you don't necessarily have the same type of stats, he might throw eight interceptions next year, but he also might throw 55 touchdown passes next year. And it's, it's less on – it's on what the talent we already know him to be, but also how he's being used is why we think that th- this year might be this much better than he was last year, even though last year's a pretty high – bar to kind of match but it's it's when you put into perspective of you had the running game and jk dobbins that was so efficient and so great that you know the passing game complemented that now the passing game is going to be the thing that's the driving force so it might not so statistically it might not look as clean he's he might not walk into the college football playoff semifinal with one interception but that doesn't mean he had he had a worse season than he had in 2019 are there any of these teams that have first-time starters 
that you think are still playoff lethal? Like teams that Ohio State needs to worry about. Like nationally, I would say – I mean, yeah, Alabama, just because Mac Jones is te- – he's a first-time starter. He started in games that Tua wasn't playing in. We've all said that nobody needs to sleep on Alabama just because last year is the first time they weren't in the playoff and you're talking about an angry Nick Saban with Alabama being what Alabama is. So I think they're at the top of that list. But also Oklahoma maybe with Spencer Radler, who was the number one quarterback in his class and the ex – Listen, Lincoln Riley's had a Heisman finalist the last three years. Two of those guys won the Heisman and were the number one pick in the draft. And then you had Jalen Hurts, who was fantastic and turned himself into a second-round pick in the NFL draft. Spencer Rattler's, I think, Lincoln Riley's first time in a while where it's a guy he recruited. They brought in and got to develop from day one, and now it's his team now. He spent a year learning under Jalen Hurts, and so I think it's interesting to see what Lincoln Riley can do when it's not a transfer guy who's maybe at the tail end of his career where I don't want to say he's a finished product, but you're, he's not your kid. Basically. It's like having a stepchild this time. This is your child that you birthed and you get to raise. And so it's interesting to see what Oklahoma looks like with a five-star quarterback that they brought in themselves. And our, our texter asked a good question. I will say that as you point out, Mac Jones is not coming in cold. He, he may be the first-year full-time starter, but he has, has played some important games already for Alabama. And then a team like Georgia, which is one of the ones that they specifically mentioned, their starting quarterback is going to be a guy named Jamie Newman, who last year with Wake Forest, 2,868 passing yards, 574 rushing yards, 32 total touchdowns. So a, a multifaceted guy that I've seen show up on first-round mock drafts already for next year's NFL draft. Um, a really talented guy. And I, 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 so that's maybe the one thing that gives me, I, I still think it is going to be really critical. I still think it, it potentially may be the deciding factor in why teams like Ohio state and Clemson can pull away and maybe, maybe mm-hmm. separate themselves because they have two quarterbacks who just give their team so much more in terms of poise and, that stability and that foundation that a, that a great quarterback can give you an experienced quarterback and the, and the whole team can kind of feed off of them. I think that really could be a factor this year, but the one thing that gives me pause is, and as you're pointing out with some of these, even in the case of Spencer Rattler, these guys aren't schlubs that are coming in for some of these teams too. And I guess that leads to my other point because you've been pointed out many times in the past that it's sort of the Vogue thing now to come in as a true freshman and get your team in the national championship game. Right. I mean, yeah. it happened um, not last year, but it happened the year before Trevor Lawrence winning it. It happened. Uh, Jake Fromm came in and got Georgia there. Um, was Tua a true freshman? When he was. He, like, I mean, so I mean, over second, he was too, too fast. 20 yeah, class of 2017. Yep. And that was a, a late adjustment, but still, I mean, he's the one in the national championship game. And I, you know, are we is that another thing are we are we overthinking because yes they those guys don't have the spring but if you have a that talented of a quarterback and I guess we just had the Jake Fromm discussion recently about whether or not he qualifies but you know when you have a talented quarterback come in as a true freshman if the rest of the team is there can can that guy still get his team to a national championship game this fall so to, to use Spencer as an example, because none of these guys are true freshmen, but Spencer Rattler's a first-year starter, and he's the youngest guy of all these guys as a sophomore. I would put him more in the same category. Him and Mac Jones may be in the same tier category of what we're talking about here, because Mac Jones probably has a little bit more experience because he actually started in some games because Tua got hurt. But the idea of both those guys, had Tua not gotten hurt, those two would be coming into the situation in 2020 the same way as guys who know they're going to be the starter in 2020 and going into the, going through the spring, going through fall camp. And they knew when the game started, they would be the starter. Both of those guys lost their springs, but both of those guys have been in their systems already. So neither of those two human beings are coming into this cold Turkey at all. And so I think they're at less of a disadvantage than maybe a guy like Jamie Newman who just transferred in. So while we're on the subject of quarterbacks, we're going to take a break here. We're going to come back after the break, and we are going to talk about the quarterbacks on Ohio State's schedule this year and how this concept of experience plays into how we look at the best quarterbacks that the Buckeyes will face in 2020. Stay with us after the break on Buckeye Talk. Back with us on Buckeye Talk, we are discussing quarterbacks 
on the Thursday Daily Pod. We just talked about why we think this year especially it is crucial, critical to have a returning quarterback, the absence of a spring, setting some teams with veteran quarterbacks like, not coincidentally, Justin Fields at Ohio State and Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, possibly pushing them out ahead of the of the of their peers and putting them in a position to lead teams to national championships. We wanted to look around the rest of this schedule and kind of see how that idea frames who Ohio State's going to play this year. So Stephen and I both sort of jotted down our top five quarterbacks that Ohio State is going to face in 2020. I guess, first of all, Stephen, um, as we've talked about before on this podcast, Big Ten not typically overflowing with quarterback talent. No. Did you get to five guys that you thought are pretty solid quarterbacks? I got to four where I didn't feel like I was, you know, selling myself on something I didn't believe in. The fifth one, I just kind of chalked it up for the sake of the exercise of having five, though. But this was, I think, we all know the Big Ten is not known for its quarterbacks, but when you go through an exercise like this, you go, man, there's such a gap in between what Justin Fields is and the rest of the quarterbacks in this conference. It's, it's just – it almost what when you look at when we're if we started to talk about the difficulty of the schedule, it almost look, makes you look at Ohio State's schedule and think this actually isn't that hard of a schedule. It did make me rethink how tough Ohio State's schedule might be, and there's two games in particular that we've said all along are going to be tough games. Both of those quarterbacks are on my list. The the two road games, yep, Oregon and Penn State. Mm-hmm. No spoilers, but we'll get to it in a second. But really beyond that. Even though, even in games where I thought the quarterback was pretty good, I don't know that I think the team is up to the caliber that can beat Ohio State. And that's um, the problem. Even with, you know, we talk about, we talked about the defense and a lot of things are going to be missing and, you know, everything else, you know, the hits and all that stuff that comes with that. But is there a quarterback on, on Ohio State's roster, on Ohio State's schedule, where that matters that much to where it's going to, you know, what if there isn't, you know, if Sean Wade's clearly the best guy and, and, and Baron Browning is pretty good, but he's not, you know, one of the best linebackers in the country. What if, you know, Zach Harrison is still a year away from what he needs to be and Tyreek Smith looks good, but he clearly needs to come back for a fourth year. Is there a quarterback out there on Ohio State's regular season schedule that's going to, you know, expose that enough to where it's a problem? And I even screwed up because when I was first doing my list, uh, I put Jack Cohn from Wisconsin on it because I'm just so used to seeing Wisconsin. But Ohio State would not play them until mm-hmm. the the postseason, potentially, until the Big Ten championship game. They're not on the non-conference schedule this year, or the, the, the Big Ten schedule this year, I should say. So tell me – go ahead and start us off. Who was your number five quarterback on the list? So my number five quarterback was Brandon Peters out of Illinois. Fourth-year guy, second-year starter through 18 touchdowns and – almost 1,900 yards last year. So, I mean, he's a veteran, and the Big Ten West veteran. No one – I'm not – Ohio State does not need to view Illinois as a threat. But just for the sake of, you know, it's a road game, and they've got a veteran quarterback there. I mean, in comparison to some of these other names on their list, I think he was a safe quality pick for number five to kind of just throw in as the fifth option here. He was not on my list, but I think that that is an interesting – selection and uh that is a road game for Ohio State this year in fact it's the game prior to the the game mm-hmm. uh, they play them in the penultimate game of the regular season and then Michigan comes to Ohio Stadium uh he wasn't on my list did, did was Nebraska's Adrian Martinez on your list he is he's one of the four though for me yes um I think let's he's number five on my list okay okay well let's but it was get into him then it was it was number five with a lot of hesitation. Um, I was looking at, I was looking at, so pro football focus, I was looking at how they ended up their quarterback rankings for 2019. Adrian Martinez preseason. And I guess they have Noah Verdahl along with that. So I don't know if that was a, a combination ranking, but Nebraska's starting quarterback or quarterback ranking for pro football focus last year, preseason was 24. So one of the 25 best quarterback situations in the country, where did they end the season? They probably weren't in the top 30. Oh, Steven. They probably weren't in the top 50. 113. Oh, my. 
they said, according to their metrics, the country's 14th lowest graded quarterback under pressure, the 19th lowest graded quarterback from a clean pocket, struggled to make tight window throws. Um, and we saw some of that uh, against Ohio State, although mm-hmm. in his defense that night, not that he didn't contribute to it a little bit, but that rock slide, that avalanche started and he just got out of – he did. Um, one of those, at least, was um, a pretty crazy pick from what I remember well, by uh, Jeff Okuda. Oh, yeah, the first um, one was definitely a, a number three pick in the NFL draft being a number three pick <laughs> in the NFL draft. Like, well, uh, uh, combined with the number two pick in the NFL draft being the number two pick in the NFL draft. Correct, correct. I think everybody in the country would probably throw a pick right there. So we'll give him a reprieve on pick number one. I'm not taking – I'm certainly not taking him off the hook for what happened no. that night. But it was just one of those nights where you could – and everybody who's ever – been around played sports has seen this happen we were just talking about the ohio state iowa game uh in yesterday's pod from 2017 sometimes when it starts rolling downhill you just can't get out of the way fast enough and it's you're, you're buried and that i think happened to him a little bit that night so i still put him on my list i still feel like he has flashed the kind of talent I, maybe this is cheating but i look at him within the context of the other skill position players they have on that team and that makes him more dangerous because he's one more guy you have to worry about in addition to um, the guys they have in the backfield, the guys they're putting out wide. And because he's a dual-threat quarterback, it's almost like one-and-a-half things to worry about. I, for a defense like Ohio State, and they're going to get to play them at home, so I, I still think this is a win when we start doing our preseason, rank or our preseason record predictions. This is a win I'm putting down for Ohio State. But – when you start thinking about what could be the game that gives Ohio State problems, I, I think last year's game, as much as Ohio State was so much better than Nebraska, um, I, that might be a, a little bit of a crazy outcome. And and this game, I think Ohio State can still win comfortably, but I don't think it's going to be that outrageous. And I think the fact – I think Nebraska will be able to move the ball on them instead of looking completely lost as they did last year. So where did he end up on your list? He was fourth on my list. And part of the reason why is maybe I'm giving him the a benefit of the doubt I don't need to be giving him. But the, my first game covering was in the Nebraska game, and he showed things. He showed he could play at this level. You know, 22 or 33 passing, 266 yards, a touchdown, 20 carries, 72 yards, and two touchdowns. And they lost 36 to 31 in Ohio Stadium. He clearly went through a sophomore slump last year. That team didn't take the step that a lot of people in the country maybe thought that they would take. I picked them to be Ohio State's only loss during the regular season as the Big, Big Ten West team that would sneak up and get Ohio State early just because, you know, they were ready to take that step, and they never took it. And he is a major reason for why. He went from 2,600 yards and 17 touchdowns and eight interceptions, which is a pretty quality year given the talent around him, the talent that he is as a true freshman with a 64.6% completion rate to 59% completion rate, 1,900 yards and 10 touchdowns and nine interceptions. He took a sophomore slump, and that entire program kind of backslid a lot last year. Maybe I'm thinking that he kind of gets to some version of what he was. Maybe he's their version of J.K. Dobbins, where as a freshman, he showed he could be really good. As a sophomore, he, as J.K. likes to always put it, he was a failure. And then his junior year, third year as a starter, third year in the program, he gets back to, you know, on the track of the progression that he was on that we thought he would get to as a freshman. You literally stole the next point I was going to make right out of my mouth. Like that was going to be my speculation. Like, could he have a, some sort of JK Dobbins like resurgence? It's like, we have a little puppy I've mentioned before. And no matter how many toys we give him, he's going to find every little piece of plastic and paper and scrap that's on the floor. And we're constantly pulling things out of his mouth. So you just, I was the puppy there and you yanked the JK Dobbins comparison right out of my mouth. And it's a little bit different, uh, but I, I think there's sort of a chicken before the egg kind of thing last year with Nebraska. Um, they were they they underachieved or or failed to live up to expectations across the board. Now was that did, did Adrian Martinez's failures then lead to that, or did the kind of failures of the whole team make it that much harder for Adrian Martinez? I think there's some balance there, but he certainly uh, didn't help them get where they needed to go. And I think he's a guy that um, maybe few players in the Big Ten have as much of a chip on their shoulder going into the season, probably or as much to prove. So moving on to my number four pick. And I'm kind of cheating again on this one 
because I don't 100% for sure know who is going to actually quarterback this team. But I picked uh, the combination of Kyle Vantrese and Matt Myers from Buffalo. One of those guys will start. Vantrese took over as the starter last year, I think about six games in, and wasn't uh, perfect by any means, but but showed some things. And there's reason to believe that he might be the guy who is – the one who will get picked to lead them this year. And he um, had kind of the opposite. When I looked at his pro football focus um, or, or Buffalo's pro football focus rankings, they did the opposite of Nebraska. They started off at 123. So basically like there aren't that many more teams in division one uh, FBS. Like you're, you're down with the dregs at that point. Like nobody's expecting anything from you. And they finished up 34th. So, you know, a top, top 40 quarterback situation for Buffalo last year. Um, they come to Ohio stadium in the third week of the season. They've got a really good running back. They've got a good wide receiver. They've got a couple good edge rushers. I think, um, you know, we talked to, or Doug talked to Lance Leipold a few weeks ago on the podcast. So people can go back and listen to that. I thought there was some good insight there. This is an interesting team, interesting coach, interesting program. They're, they're they bring in talent. They've had some superlative NFL talent in recent years um, I'm not saying either these guys are like the next great NFL quarterback or a starting NFL quarterback someday but I think there's some there is some talent here um, uh, and inventory specifically again I'm just going off pro football focus but um, he only completed 58 percent of his passes but he had two games of the passing grade above 90 and uh, had the 20th best passing grade in the country from a clean pocket and now can they keep the pocket clean against a team like Ohio State? Is is Ohio State going to have the kind of talent edge up front, even against a solid team like Buffalo, that they're going to be able to, you know, flush a quarterback like that out and bother him and and cause problems? That that may end up being true. But I feel like things we've seen and things I've read, there's some talent there for Buffalo. I respect the you know confidence that you have in Buffalo starting quarterback. I I do. I just want to start with that as a as a a Mac, a graduate of a Mac school. I respect that and I applaud it, but it's Buffalo, but you so think I it's can't. misplaced. Yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's Buffalo, well, and it's it's Buffalo. Here was my other. As we did this exercise, as we tried to pick five quarterbacks, it's very hard because it's, it's really tough. only one. Yeah, it's it's you're talking about one legitimate non-conference quarterback and four Big Ten quarterbacks. Is what you're talking about. So like, I understand those are all great numbers. If the word Buffalo as his team didn't come after it. Well, and here was the other thing that made it tough. We still have so many potential um, opponents for Ohio State that we don't, I think, 100% know who's going to start at quarterback. You know, Michigan yeah. is, is not – it doesn't sound like settled between uh, Milton and McCaffrey. Um, uh, Petrus, I think, is a guy's name from Iowa. I, you know, uh, Chad Leistikow mm-hmm. was, was really kind of talking him up earlier this week, but it's a guy that we don't – know a whole lot about yet um it's you know some unknowns there i mean it, it it was it was tougher than i thought when i first said it and i we first said hey let's rank the quarterbacks on a state schedule and then i was like whoa 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 let's just do top five and then i was like Ugh, maybe we should do like top two um who's your favorite quarterback other than justin fields <laughs> it almost kind of comes down to it. like who is the second best quarterback in the big 10 it almost comes down to that right mm-hmm. i guess you would well actually there you'd probably say Oh, Tanner Morgan is good. Tanner Morgan, yeah. Tanner Morgan is number two and Sean Clifford's number three. But for yeah. the sake of people who are who we're going to watch in person this year, if there is a season, it's Justin Fields and then it's Sean, Sean Clifford. Right. And Tanner Morgan not showing up on the schedule. So, that's, again, that's the thing. Yeah. Some of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten, um, even even if you're just going relative to Big Ten status, you, Ohio State doesn't play Tanner Morgan in the regular season. Ohio State doesn't play um, Jack Cohn slash uh, the freshman that – or I guess it'll be a red shirt that's – uh, or second year guy who's pushing Cone potentially for, for that job, a, a big recruit that they had. Um, so some of the better ones, some of the better options are, are guys that Ohio State might not play until you get to the Big Ten Championship game. Who was number three on your list? So number three on my list, I went with Michael Penix Jr., who we would have seen last year if he wasn't hurt. Um, when Ohio State played Indiana, I'm pretty sure he's going to be a star this year. Three-star kid out of 2018, 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns last season. It's seeming like he's going to be their starter going forward as long as he's healthy and we're ready to go. And so just a guy with who brings more to the table for Indiana, I don't, it's not going to lead to a win, but it's, it, it just makes for a more interesting matchup when you've got a guy who's a dual-threat quarterback who can – hurt you with both his arm and his legs. So he came in at number three for me. And I think part of it is, I think, 
because Ohio State hasn't seen him because they didn't play him last year, play him last year, he can maybe be coming and maybe have some level of what Adrian Martinez was in 2018 as the guy that it's their first time seeing him. So he's able to get away with some things early that obviously Adrian Martinez wasn't able to get away with his second time around against Ohio State. And maybe for the first quarter of the game, things are interesting. And then after that, you know, obviously Ohio State does what it does to everybody when it clearly has a, a talent gap over a team. But it, maybe at least for a quarter, he makes some things interesting. Michael Penix is my number one. And for me, it came down to – we've talked so much on this pod about to beat Ohio State. And I think to beat Ohio State right now. It was certainly true last year. I think it's going to be true again this year, even though – uh, there's some texters mad at me about my uh, hesitance about anointing this defense as being really good already for uh, 2020. Um, but I, I, I still think in order to beat Ohio State in 2020, your quarterback has to bring something special to the table. I think Michael Penix sometimes, because he has that, that athleticism, is thought of as having some mobility, I think his passing gets underrated. And this guy can throw the ball. Um, go watch the film, go look at the numbers. He's accurate. He's got a strong arm. He's got a big arm. He can do things in the passing game. And it's an interesting matchup. They have to come to Ohio Stadium. I think we're – and Ohio State would have won that game last year. I think it's not an anomaly that they beat Iowa as bad as they did. Um, but Michael Penix not playing in that game certainly didn't make any things any easier for Indiana to try to pull that upset. And, you know, they get to come into Ohio Stadium – in 2020 with no expectations everybody assuming that this is going to be another blowout and maybe the guy who is the most underrated one of the most underrated players in the big 10 is your quarterback um i think it's going to be a fun game to watch i hope it's a fun game to watch i hope that you know it's one of those games where he comes out and shows something ohio state hasn't seen that's what they thought was going to happen last year with adrian martinez and it never really developed if michael Penix could come in and be that guy with you know multiple ways of attacking you can hit you downfield but also you have to be worrying about him escaping you have to be worrying about him as a primary run threat if they can put that on the field and then Ohio State has to adjust to that. And then Ohio State counters with something that then I, Indiana has to adjust to. Again, still seems like a game that Ohio State should be easily favored to win. But it's the kind of game where if a good game against a good performance by Michael Penix makes Ohio State better in the long run. Uh, I'm not – and I, I respect that. For that. I, don't, I, I agree with you. I just don't – I don't have that much confidence to make him my number one guy. And part of the reason why is – the two guys, the guys I, ha- I would have over him in that situation probably have a better chance of maybe actually winning the game. And I think that, that played a role in for me is, one, what can you bring to the table as a quarterback, but also can what you bring as a, to, to the table as a quarterback, combining that with what your team has, potentially lead to a win if you get enough things to go your way. And that's why I had Sean Clifford and I had whoever wins the Oregon starting job as my number one and number two. And I had Tyler show as the, as the guy that I put in the place there just because of the conversation we had with James Crippa back when we had him on the pod as the number 140 overall player in 2018, he was number seven pro style quarterback. It seems like things are trending in his direction to win that job as Oregon is just a more, a more talented team than what Indiana is. And we've seen in the past, the last few years, Penn state hasn't been able to pull out the win, but those have been competitive games where if one or two things go the opposite way, Maybe that's Penn State's win. And, you know, Sean Clifford obviously had his time in that game cut short because he got hurt and Will Levis came in. But they they still kept up and were able to, you know, pull themselves back into that game. And so the Penn State's quarterback has to be number one for me because that's, I think, who I think can make it the most competitive game. That's a game in Penn State's backyard. Sean Clifford is going to be in his second year as a starter. While, with, you know, with whoever Oregon's quarterback is, there's still talent there, along with the fact that that's also a game in their backyard. So I had Clifford three and Tyler Shaw two, mm. um, assuming he holds off Boston College transfer Anthony Brown, which I think, again, is the expectation. But that's uh, when you start talking about like the best quarterback situations Ohio State will face this year. That's a pretty strong one in Oregon to have um, you know, a presumptive backup turning into a starter guy who mm-hmm. has some some skills. And then you're bringing in a, a 
a transfer like this who also has some talent. Uh, that's an interesting – but to, to look at Clifford first, I think you're right. I think Penn State is going to be probably the best team Ohio State plays during the regular season. I just don't know how impressed I am with Clifford himself. Is he, is, can he, does he make big time plays? Does he, does he, does he scare you? Does he, does he himself worry Ohio state's defense or worry Ohio state's fans as to what he can come in and do to Ohio state? Now, I, again, I understand that it's not that simple and that Penn state does have some other weapons, although no, some, of their, some of their offensive weapons have, have disappeared too. Um, they're still going to have a really good tight end. Um, usually still have some pretty good talent up front, but I, I just, does, is he the guy, if, if it's a close game late, how worried are you that he's going to summon that, that big play or, or summon that drive late in the game that Ohio state can't answer. And that's where, that's why to what we were talking about earlier, he's the number two guy in the, in number three in the country behind Tanner Morgan and or in the Big Ten, who, yeah, in the big, in the big, in the Big Ten. Sorry about that. Wow, in the country, wow, that would have been. <laughs> but how many of these guys on this list do that for you? I don't know if, you know, I don't. Michael Penix is good. I don't know if he scares me. I know Adrian Martinez doesn't scare me. I, I maybe Oregon having you know a four-star kid who's a first-year starter. Maybe just because you know it's in Oregon, maybe that scares me, but not really. You know, so and you know. But Michigan, with if Dylan McCaffrey wins that job, that doesn't scare me. Brandon Peters, Illinois, that definitely doesn't scare me. So there's of the options we're presenting here, none of these guys scare me. The only guy who scares me in the Big Ten happens to play for the team we're we're covering. So and which is why Ohio said his favorite in every one of these games. But you, so you have to look at the things around them that might be able to help elevate whatever their standing is, and you look at. You know, Penn State's coaching, along with the talent in comparison to the other, you know, quarterbacks that we're looking at on this roster that's surrounding around them compared with what we've seen in the past from Penn State teams who have been able to play Ohio State tough. All that has to come into play because of the, the fact of the matter is, as we went through this exercise, I think we can both agree, I don't think any of these quarterbacks scare either one of us. And I... I, I think you're right, and I think it's the next step the Big Ten has to make. You know, we were talking about last week, uh, maybe it was even two weeks ago, about that comparison between the Big Ten and the SEC, and will the Big Ten ever get that respect that the SEC has? And I'm not saying that the SEC does it with monster quarterbacks, but I think the level of quarterback play has to go up in the Big Ten on a consistent basis in order for teams to start taking them seriously. Um, and now we may be on the verge of something like that with the, the guy that's coming through Iowa, Petrus, the, uh, the, is, is, it Mertz? is it Mertz is the one that I'm thinking of for Wisconsin. Um, you know, you know, yeah. Michigan has some those guys they a, that they got a five-star coming in 2021. So you're right. Maybe, right. maybe you know, the maybe there's something building, you know, everyone thought Jeff Brom was going to go to Purdue and be able to kind of be a, a source of, of quarterback talent because he was a great quarterback and his, him and his brother have developed quarterbacks before. So maybe the, maybe Purdue can start doing something like that. But until you start seeing it kind of consistently happen throughout the big 10, I mean, not all 14 teams, but I'm saying like it needs to be harder to pick the five best quarterbacks or maybe easier. Actually, that's what I should say. It should be easier to, to think that Ohio State's going to face five really good quarterbacks in the course of a regular season. That's a third of the regular season. And we had trouble coming up with five that we are really impressed by. Or even really just having another guy in the conference where, to what we've already said, that guy scares me if the talent around him is right. And it's a game where they're playing Ohio State tough. And there's not a quarterback at Ohio State schedule who – Either of us feel that way about that. And to that point, you know, Michigan's bringing in a five-star guy. Wisconsin has a guy on the roster who, you know, is the guy after Jack Cohn to be that. Maybe those guys could be that. But just for the way – we don't even have to get to a point where we're talking about who are the five hardest quarterbacks on Ohio State's schedule. I think the first step is, is getting to a position where, oh, this is going to be a tough game because this team's quarterback scares me. As Maybe not as much as what Ohio State's quarterbacks are going to do just because – Ryan Day, as, as to what you've written and asked him about the, the concept of Ohio State being QBU, starting with Justin Fields and then bringing in two guys and C.J. Stroud and Zach Miller and then a five-star Kyle McCord, maybe they're not as scary as Ohio State's quarterback, but they're scary enough to where if Penn State is in the positions where it's been in the last few years where the game is close going into the fourth quarter, you know, they pull the upset. It doesn't take the Big Ten West team 
who just catches Ohio State slipping in order to get a win. And apologize for the, the brain fire before, but yeah, Graham Mertz, uh, four-star number 65 recruit in the country in 2019. That's a guy I was talking about. So maybe he overtakes Cone, maybe he doesn't. Um, Cone was a guy that I, I think is – I don't look down on him as the way some other people on our podcast might, but I also acknowledge that he belongs in that group of people who are just uh, – okay. Like not, not, not yeah. the guy that really scares you. And um, some scary quarterback play, I think in the big 10 would be really fun. And maybe, maybe it's on the verge of coming and maybe it might come from the West quicker than it comes from the East outside of Ohio state. So that's something to kind of keep an eye on here, I think in uh, the next couple of years, but that wraps up today's daily podcast. Join us again on Friday. Like I said, if you get the texts there, you should get a text. Um, if you're already listening to this, in, on Thursday morning, that text should come out about 10 a.m., sometime before noon, asking you the, the market down Monday question and then also asking you for questions for a rapid-fire edition for us on Friday. And uh, that'll take us right into next week, and we'll welcome Doug Maurice back to Buckeye Talk, and we'll welcome you all back to Buckeye Talk uh, five days a week. Anything else, Stephen, before we go? Uh, no, that's about it. You know, everybody stay safe out there. And, you know, sports are hopefully coming back soon. We can only hope. And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>